Welcome to Communio Sanctorum, the history of the Christian Church. This episode continues our series examining the impact that Christianity has had on history and culture. Today, we're looking at how the faith impacted the world's view of women. Contemporary secular feminism came about because of the Christian gospel's elevation of women. As with so many other privileges and liberties, as well as the prosperity that many in the Western world enjoy, they find their origin in a biblical view of the world and mankind's place in it. But as secularism gained traction in the 20th century and God was increasingly pushed from the public square, privilege became entitlement. Liberty devolved to license and greed turned prosperity into massive debt all because the moral base that made them possible was forfeited in favor of the fiction told by secularism. Radical feminism is a grand case in point. Feminists never would have been able to mount their attack on what they deemed the subjugation of women were it not for the Christian elevation of women in the first place. They never would have had the platform to make demands were it not for the biblical worldview Christianity ensconced in Western civilization. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, the Apostle Paul wrote, quote, There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Unquote. In Ephesians 5, where he defines the roles of husband and wife in marriage, Paul tells husbands to love their wives as they do themselves. Peter tells husbands to treat their wives tenderly and with great care as they would a delicate and precious vase. This seems like common sense, but only because what Paul and Peter instruct has shaped our view of marriage and a husband's duty to his wife. We don't realize what an utterly radical assignment that was to men living in the first century. At that time, Jewish men placed far less honor on women. One of the prayers that some Jewish men prayed went, quote, Lord, I thank you that I was not born a Gentile, a woman, or a dog, unquote. In the Greek and Roman world, wives were esteemed as little better than servants. A wife was a social convention by which a man raised legitimate heirs for the family name and fortune. But when it came to affection and pleasure, well, many men kept mistresses or visited temple prostitutes. Generally speaking, a wife had little honor in her husband's esteem and little claim on his attention or affections. When Paul told husbands to love their wives as Christ loves the church in Ephesians 5, he elevated the wife to a place that she had simply not had before. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, we find this, quote, Husbands, dwell with your wife with understanding, giving honor to her as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered, unquote. When Peter told a Christian husband to honor his wife as he would a precious and delicate vase, this was nothing less than radical social revolution. The idea that a man would take the time to understand his wife was new and novel. And it was precisely for values like this that Christians were accused by their critics of upsetting the social order and turning the world upside down. Imagine that. Because Christian men loved and served their wives, they were hated and persecuted. Why? Because they were monkeying with a system that had been in place for hundreds of years. I mean, who knows what chaos might ensue if men started honoring their wives. Now, I know what some feminists would say at this point because I've already heard it. 
They say, well, what about Peter and Paul's instruction to a wife to submit to her husband? See, they're just misogynist keepers of the tradition of a male-dominated society. Not exactly. In fact, not even close. Just as both Peter and Paul defied all cultural sensitivities of their day by calling men to love their wives sacrificially and to seek daily to understand and honor them, what they said to women in their role as wives was just as revolutionary. Let me explain. In Ephesians 5, verses 22 through 24, the Apostle Paul says that a wife's submission to her husband is patterned after her submission to Christ. In verse 24, he says that she is to submit in everything, meaning that it's more than just outward compliance. It goes deeper than a tight-lipped surrender to him. All of us need to understand that submission deals more with the posture of our hearts than with our actions. Before Paul moves to the roles of husbands and wives in Ephesians 5, he speaks of the principle of mutual submission all believers are to hold. He then goes on to describe how men are to submit to those that God has placed in authority over them at work and in the government. A lot of people think that submission merely means giving in outwardly while inwardly they harbor resentment and defiance toward the one they're supposedly submitting to. Their attitude is, okay, I'll do what you say, but I still think you're a jerk. In order to understand what Paul meant when he wrote that a wife is to submit in everything, let's think about the cultural setting in which Paul wrote that. In the Greco-Roman world of the first century, it was universally accepted that wives submitted to their husbands. Men were the undisputed rulers in their homes. Paul wrote this letter to the church in the city of Ephesus, which was governed by the Roman law known as paterfamilias. This law gave the male head of household absolute authority over his wife, children, and servants. He could beat them. He could even put them to death if he wished. And the law was loath to interfere. So, why would Paul call wives to something that was already so much an accepted part of life? Telling a wife to submit to her husband was like telling her to keep breathing. It was that obviousness that would move them to take a closer look and realize what Paul was really saying. The clue to what he meant is in the grammar. The word submit is in the middle voice. Paul says that a wife is to place herself into submission. You see, what he's calling for isn't merely a resigned outward compliance because of force. He calls for a heart attitude of godly deference. The wife is to submit to her husband on the inside as well as the outside. Please don't miss this because it's the key to understanding the mind-blowing revolution that Paul brings. He's saying to the women of his day, you've been yielding outwardly because you had no choice. You have no power in society, so you have to comply with your husband's wishes. But now, God gives you this voluntary choice, this act of will rather than legal requirement and forced compliance. You can submit from your heart, too. This is what he means by everything in verse 24. Submit in everything, in your actions, in your heart, in your speech, even in your body language. Rather than seeing Paul as some kind of male chauvinist who was seeking to cruelly subjugate women, realize he's giving them a power they had never known before. It was the power to choose for themselves. 
He was making decision makers of those who had been forbidden to make real decisions before. While this truth may have become obscured for modern readers of the Bible, it was certainly not lost to the men and women of the first century, who, when they installed these things in their homes and found a new level of life, meaning, purpose, and joy, they had never known before. And it was the beauty and excellence of their lifestyle that was so attractive to their unbelieving peers and saw them come into the faith by the hundreds and then by the thousands, even though persecution by hostile authorities was still a regular occurrence. Simply put, search the annals of the Greeks and Romans and you will find nothing that comes close to this marital ethic or any other culture of the ancient world. Honest, secular historians admit that the arrival of Jesus was the turning point in the history of women, and that the gospel marked a sea change in women's status in society. Sing like